Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Chapter 15. The Hogwarts High Inquisitor. They had expected to have to comb Hermione's daily profit carefully next morning to find the article Percy had mentioned in his letter. However, the departing delivery owl had barely cleared the top of the milk jug when Hermione let out a huge gasp and flattened the newspaper to reveal a large photograph of Dolores Umbridge. I'm Matt Potts. And I'm Vanessa Zoltan. And this is Harry Potter and the Sacred Text. Matt, for today's Patreon perk, I'm just going to tell a story Something happened to me yesterday that was very shocking. I caught a minister talking badly about me behind my back. This is eventually going to be a Harry Potter and the Sacred Text opening story, but we have a rule to preach from our scars and not our wounds, and so it will not be in an episode for a little while. So I am just going to tell the unfiltered wound version of this story on today's Every Flavored Bean Conversation. You've already heard this story. I'm excited about this. I've heard this story, and I'm excited to hear it again, hear it told to our listeners. There's a lot of unnecessary antagonism in this chapter. Yes. And yeah, it's completely consistent with your experience yesterday. Thank you. Okay. I'm very excited to tell the unvarnished version of this story to our listeners. And you can listen to that if you go to patreon.com slash Harry Potter Sacred Text. Also remember to review us on Apple Podcasts and subscribe there for ad-free episodes. Vanessa, you're going to tell us a story about charisma. I am. So, Matt, I'm actually going to tell a classroom story. We spent a lot of time in the classroom in this chapter. And one of the moments in my life where I, like, truly encountered charisma was in the classroom at Harvard Divinity School. I was taking a class called On Death and Dying, and it was about spiritual care for people who were grieving a loved one or grieving that they had been given some sort of uh, terminal diagnosis. And it was co-taught by a minister and a professor. And the minister who was teaching, I think, is someone who you probably know, Dorothy Austin. Mm -hmm. And Dorothy, Matt, I think you would agree with me, was an incredibly charismatic teacher and minister. Like, when you were in her presence in the classroom, she's, like, quiet and reserved, but, like, only says wise things. (laughs) And I think the thing that was most charismatic about her in the classroom was what an incredible listener she was. And so there was something about her that you just felt like she is listening to every word that I have to say, and she cares so deeply about me. So in our very first class, she had us all go around and introduce ourselves. And this is like a pretty perfunctory thing that I always find annoying in class, to be honest. I'm like, you're not going to remember this. Like, why Why are we doing this? And I, it just... It is rarely well done. It is sometimes well done, but it is rarely well done, in my opinion. And Dorothy, you know, had us go around. And what it felt like was that in meeting each of us, she was, like, giving us a blessing, right? She was like, yes, Matthew. Like, tell me, why did you come to Divinity School? Right? Like, it was, like, this short interview. 
it felt so special. And I walked out of the classroom and I remember thinking, I think that she and I had an extra special connection. Like everyone feels that way, but I feel like she and I really had that. And then I was like, wow, that is like an ugly feeling. (laughs) Like, why can't this woman be special and just make everybody feel good? And that to me is one of the things about charisma it can sometimes make me feel uneasy. I can second guess the genuineness of it, or I can like feel like it's scarce and want more of it. Or I'm like, well, everybody sees that this person is special, right? This is what I think of as like the drummer crush syndrome. Like everyone has a crush on the lead singer, so I'm gonna have a crush on the drummer, right? Like there's something about truly charismatic people that at least for me, can sometimes make me feel insecure. And I, I'm i wondering about that with charisma because I know that I'm a petty person, and yet I do find that sometimes charisma can make us curious about whether or not we're being manipulated, right? We often think of, like, con artists as having a lot of charisma. I'm just interested in this thing that seems pure, which is, like, the ability to charm, as potentially complicated. Dorothy Austin is not complicated in her charisma. I had a complicated reaction to something very genuine in her. That's so interesting. Because you're like, how dare a person make me and others feel special? Yes, equally (laughs) special. That's right. How dare a person recognize the innate goodness and beauty of each individual person? There should be a ranking. It just felt like a participation (laughs) award. I was like, well, I'm not special. You make everyone feel special. I like your story, not because of what it tells us about charisma, but because of what it tells us about you. (laughs) I talked myself down from it. No, I I was like, wow, that is so special that she can do that for everyone. The etymology of charisma is really fascinating. I don't know if you remember, but way back in the day, we did an episode where the theme was charm. Mm, mm-hmm. And I actually thought that the root of charm was going to be linked to the root of charisma, and it's not. Charm comes from like song making or something like that. It has to do with magic. But charisma is the Greek word for grace. Oh my God. And it kind of captures all the elements of grace, not only like elegance and beauty, but also the idea of given freely and giftedness. Yeah. So like the English word gratitude comes from charisma. Wow. Like anything that's given freely to a person, not because they deserve it, but just because they are, like that comes from charisma. And it's different than charm, right? Charm yeah. is a little bit of a trick. Yeah. Right? But you can see how like even in uh, the way we use charisma and in your reaction to Dorothy Austin's charisma, how that can be manipulated. If you can convince someone that you have charisma when you actually don't, that they are special even though you don't think they are. Like, that's charm, right? That can be manipulative. I mean, the danger or the risk or the suspicion you have is earned, I guess. Is that the right verb? Like, we know that charisma is used this way and manipulated this way in human relations. But when we dig down to the Greek, there is something more pure in it, or at least more laudable. Yeah. And I I do think the way that we use it is very different now, right? Like, when we talk about charismatic religion and, right, like... But that route, I really want to explore that route and say that it does turn out that I am correct. Dorothy Austin was one of the most charismatic teachers I've ever had. So gracious. Yeah. Thinks everyone is a blessing. Like if you if you want to say thank you in Greek, you say, you put the grace in there. Yeah. Wow. Well, Matt, everybody is about to be blessed with your unmitigated grace <laughs> and charisma. With the the free gift recap. of a 30 second recap. The That's free right. gift that you are just giving from the goodness of your heart. And interestingly enough, you will also do it with great charm, which has nothing to do with charisma. No, nothing to do with charisma. But you're going to yeah. do both. Yeah. Okay. On your mark, get set, go. So the owls come in and they drop a daily profit. And lo and behold, uh, Umbridge is the high inquisitor. What the heck does that mean? And also, it was never Dumbledore's choice to put her in here. And she's visiting classrooms and she goes to Trelawney's and she's like, Trelawney, are you actually a seer? And Trelawney's like, yes, I see bad things about you. And she's like, maybe you don't. And then they go to Grubbly Playing and Grubbly Playing's like, Dumbledore is the best. And also, I don't know anything about Hagrid and I'm pretty happy with the way things are run here. And then they go to, to McGonagall. McGonagall's like, why are you here? I'm not paying attention to you. And then uh, Hermione's like, this is never going to get better. Uh, we need to start. Uh, you need to train us. Harry. That was so and good. And then Harry gets really mad. 
I know I I missed the the fight at the end, but you can cover that in your yeah. Well, I think you I think you you didn't have time for two things, and so I'll do those two things. Okay, great. Oh, I can only remember one thing I missed. Yeah, don't worry, I'll remind you. Okay, great. Okay, I'll count you in. Please do. Three, two, one, go. So Hermione is raising her hand in Umbridge's class, and Umbridge is like what do you want? And Hermione's like, I've already read the whole book. And Harry gets really mad again, and he loses his temper with Umbridge again. And so he is going to get more uh, detention. And Angelina's mad at him, and McGonagall is so mad at him for losing his temper that she takes points away for getting a detention, which he thinks is not fair. He goes to detention, he has to write on his hand again. It's really bad. Hermione makes a healing potion, and then they get into a fight because she's like, you should run Dumbledore's army. And he's like, I'm not that smart! That's not what he says. That was great. I I forgot a lot of things, and you covered them all, and that was great. And I I feel like I've come into a different relationship with the 30-second recap. I realize now that however little I remember of the chapter, I can probably fill 30 seconds. So, <laughs> so Matt, I think we should start with Charisma with the Hogwarts High Inquisitor. So she is the chief question asker of Hogwarts. Is that what this position is? I don't know what a High Inquisitor is. <laughs> I guess so. I mean, to me, it's hearkening back to evil positions of Inquisition. Like, right? Like, sure, right. It's obviously like, this is a bad thing. <laughs> right. Meant You're like thing, picturing the but... Doge's palace in Venice in yeah, the 15th exactly. century. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. And yet you're going to say that she has great charisma. <laughs> no, I oh, I yeah. am going to make an argument that I think Umbridge is without charisma in this chapter. Mm. I think that yes. she she is like eschewing all efforts at charisma and is just throwing around power and is just throwing around the authority that she has been given by Fudge, whether or not that authority is sort of respected within this school. And the moment that I want to look in on is one of these moments where she is doing a teacher evaluation. So that's one of the things that she's going to do is the High Inquisitor. I actually think that this is good. I think some of the pedagogy at Hogwarts needs improvement. And so if there was like really? a teaching coach who was going around to the classrooms and giving like helpful feedback after like teacher observations, I would be all for it. That is not what's happening. What's happening here is like a punitive attempt to like, you know, it is a punitive kind of witch hunt. No pun intended. But her first visit that we see is of Professor Trelawney. And the text tells us that Umbridge puts her chair inches behind Trelawney. Inches. That is a creepy invasion of personal space. And, right, like, that is not charismatic. That is not grace. That is not openness. That is not charming. That is just, like, I have such a right in this classroom, I don't even have to respect personal boundaries anymore. Someone who was attempting at charisma would at least pretend that they were up to more than one thing in this classroom, other than throwing their power around and being punitive. Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, I think Umbridge's character really gets to this distinction that was emerging in your story between something like charm and something like charisma. Because we do know that Umbridge seems to put a lot of energy into an outward appearance of like propriety and also like daintiness and gentleness. Like it seems like that she, that she puts a lot of energy into performing something like this. And one would think that she does that to sort of charm people into thinking that's how she actually is. But we know just from detention and other things that she is willing to exercise power in really cruel ways, right? And actually is neither gentle nor dainty or whatever other adjectives are appropriate, right? Like there's, so there's something going on there. But I also think that like, you know, there's a way in which power is charismatic or at least power charms people. Mm. Again, we're getting to this really messy distinction between charm and charisma. Because I know that's not in this chapter, but in the last chapter, they get this letter from Percy. And remember, Percy says that Umbridge is such a delightful woman, right? Yeah. And I can't tell if Percy actually finds her outward performed gentleness, propriety, delightful, or if Percy finds power delightful. Because I think right. we, I think Percy finds power delightful because that's why he's in the ministry. That's why he won't, right? right? So he might realize or maybe not be willing to admit to himself that she is as cruel and willing to wield power as she is, but he finds that kind of just attractive. 
Or maybe he doesn't see any of that stuff. He just sees her like the outward kind of performance she's putting on and sees that. I'm not sure which it is. But in either case, like she has some charisma and or charm with respect to Percy. Do you think that's right? Or what do you think? Yeah, I do think power can be charismatic. At least when I think about charisma versus charm, charm is like delightful, right? But I can pull my Mm. focus from charm. Whereas charisma, it is like a spell. Like you can't, and like maybe I'm making a false distinction or only one that lives in my head. But like I can find like, Right, like two dogs playing, charming, right? Like, that is very charming. That is delightful. I am, like, bewitched by the cuteness of it. But charisma feels like a vortex that you are pulled into, almost as something with a gravitational pull. Like, I can't resist it. Yeah. And this is maybe, again, pointing to another interesting facet of your story, which is, you know, one of the things you said was that Dorothy Austin had this towards everyone. I think one of the things that we think about charisma is that it's kind of universal like everyone's right. drawn to it you just have one it. of the things i was thinking yeah is like oh maybe charisma's in the eye of the beholder because percy sees it but other people don't and maybe this is a way to distinguish charisma and charm because charm is usually something you direct at a person because you're trying to not always you know with malign intention but trying to like get something out of them even if what you're trying to get out of them is for them to feel happy right just right. for their own sake right charm doesn't have to be manipulative but like you charm an individual whereas charisma is something you have that everyone perceives but i wonder if that's true like you know i'm, I'm there are probably people you find charismatic that i don't find charismatic and there are probably of people course. i find charismatic that you don't so so maybe charisma's not as universal as we experience to be but maybe Again, like one of the distinctions, at least for us who are experiencing another's charisma or another's charm is when someone's charming us, we know it's just for us. Mm-hmm. But when someone's, when we experience someone else's charisma, we feel like, how could anyone not see this? Like, <laughs> right. Any person would feel the way I am feeling right now because this person is so irresistibly delightful in universal ways. Right. And I think that that is evidenced in idioms, right? Like... Yeah. Oh, my God, I was so charmed by him versus you say, like, this person is charismatic, right? Yeah, I think that's right. That's right. And, and to the, in that sense, like, yeah, Umbridge does not have charisma, right? <laughs> like, she she seems to have charmed some folks either by her power or by her, you know, the the way she behaves or the, the way she speaks. But she, I don't think anyone has the sense that she has a universal appeal, except maybe Percy. But Percy's so hard to read. Who knows? <laughs> Percy's, Percy's still learning. He's, he's still confused. Learning. Yeah, he's confused. Whereas McGonagall, I would argue hardcore, this lady, especially in this chapter, is charisma on a stick. And it gives me a little bit of a theory on charisma that is just pulling together things that you and I have been talking about for years now. I think charisma is often about a right-sized confidence. Right? Like, Dorothy Austin was just like confident that she could go around the classroom and that this was going to be an appropriate use of time. She was skilled in her teaching. She knows how to open, right? Like there was just this assuredness that this was a worthwhile way to spend an opening class. Whereas I do think other teachers just don't know what to do with an opening class. Or like, we went through the syllabus. We're starting next time. I don't know. Tell, tell us your names. So McGonagall, like Dorothy Austin, like there's just this like, I know what we're doing today. I And like, it is in everything she does, right? She has a box of mice and she like hands it to Lavender and Lavender is scared. And she's like, mice aren't scary. Like I have been doing this for 39 years. A mouse has never bit a student. You are squeamish. And like, actually this is safe, right? Like she has done this over and over again. And she knows she's a good teacher. She knows she gets the OWL results. She knows that she can like give every kid the appropriate education so that every single kid can pass. And like Umbridge can be there or not. She just doesn't care. And the kids are wrapped by her. And if she was swaggering, right? If she was like, I'm about to show you something amazing, right? Like, we'd be like, okay, lady. But there's something about the right-sizedness of her confidence that I think creates a sense of security in the kids, right? Like, there's going to be, like, a kind of respectful order in this class. And also, 
because you trust, you can just sort of hand yourself over to someone, which I think is part of yeah. charisma, right? That gravity of handing yourself to someone. Yeah. I mean, I, I think all of that's right. I think I'm going to approach it from a slightly different way, but I think Please. I, I want to confirm everything that you say. I think that she has that confidence and it's right size and that does build trust with the students. I'm so glad we talked about Umbridge first because having spoken about Umbridge and sorted out Umbridge's charisma slash charm slash lack thereof, it occurs to me that like McGonagall is like bizarro Umbridge. She's like the inverse of Umbridge. Like she is completely unconcerned with charming anybody. Yeah. Like she is not trying to get on the good side of Umbridge, even though Umbridge is there to evaluate her, whatever that means. Right. She is she's willing to take five points from her own house and from Harry. Like, yep. you know, she's she's not trying to curry favor with anyone. But that makes her utterly fair and utterly reliable in a way that all the students recognize. And because they recognize how fair she is, how the fact that a ministry high inquisitor is there is not going to sway her or change the way she like they know they can rely on her. Yeah. And that is her charisma. That's what that's what gives her presence and command and authority in that classroom and why she can say to a child, don't be squeamish about the mouse. Right. And the child like knows it's true. Right. Because she is so uninterested in charming anybody and so absolutely interested in treating everyone fairly. Like yeah. that has its own charisma, but she's not flouncing around the room trying to delight people, right? <laughs> but she's just has built this this sure trust, which is comes from confidence. She knows what she's doing there. She knows what she can do and what she can't do and you know what she can do for these children and how to care for them and teach them. And the Children can just sense that. They know there's an adult in the room when McGonagall is there, which is exactly what they want a lot of the time. And so they find that that's her charisma. That's her gift to them. So, yeah, I absolutely see that. And it's it's integrated and related to the, everything you were saying about her confidence. But something about the kind of the foil of Umbridge, the kind of direct inverse of Umbridge's personality. It really, it's almost like in book five or whatever, J.K. Rowling decided, oh, I wonder what would happen if I wrote the opposite of McGonagall. (laughs) Right. What would that person look like? And it would look a lot like Umbridge, I think. Yeah. No, I love that theory. I love that theory. McGonagall gives away her smiles very sparingly, whereas Mm -hmm. Umbridge is always smiling. But like, you know, there's like malice behind it. And although McGonagall never gives out smiles, it's the absolute opposite. There's always good intention behind it. Right. (laughs) Right? Like, yeah. Like, Harry suspects that she maybe smiled at him at the end right. of class. And he's like, yes. yes. <laughs> like, it means yeah. so much. That's right. But he never doubts that she has his best interest and other students' best interest at heart. Absolutely. Right? Even when he disagrees yeah. with her. I'm just wondering, Matt, if, like, something universal about charisma is that we all find highly competent people charismatic. Right? Like, part of why we love shows like The West Wing is because you're just, like, watching people be good at their jobs, right? Like, we love watching people be excellent at things. It's from ballet to a conductor. Even if you don't understand, like, what it is that they're excellent at, right? Like, I don't really know what Steve Jobs did. And he's, like, was not a charming person, but he was excellent. And so we, like, couldn't keep our eyes off of him. And I'm wondering what you think about that, that just like true competence is almost universally charismatic, is close to universally charismatic as we get. Yeah. And I think there's the right sizedness of it that you were talking about, like the competence, which is just sort of like I'm doing my job. Right. Like really, really well. Right. And not trying to save the world with my job. I'm just doing my job really well. There's a movie, you know, the movie Spotlight about the Boston Globe investigative reporting team that uncovered the the Catholic Church's sex abuse scandal here in the Archdiocese of Boston. And that movie is basically just like two hours of watching people do research and follow Yeah, it's up watching reading. people be good at their jobs. That's it. Yeah. And and that's yeah. the thing. Like and it's and it's like it's captivating. Just watching yeah. people like study and and make phone calls and do things which are not super like fabulous or comparing spreadsheets. They're like exactly. he's on this like, list, but not on this list. <laughs> Yeah. And you can't take your eyes off of it, right? No. Because because it's like it's like it's both dedication and competence, right? It's it's both things yeah. together. But yeah, yeah, that's I think that's right. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices 
down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. This week's episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text is brought to you by Pros. Casper, I just got a wonderful, wonderful haircut. It looks so good. Thank you. I feel great with it. But I cut off over a foot of hair, and that means my long hair was sort of pulling my curls in one way. And now that I have short hair, I need a totally different hair care routine. Mm. Luckily, Pros is made for people, not hair and skin types. Personalization is rooted in everything they do, from their in-depth consultation to their made-to-order model. And so I used the review and refine feature, and I was like, yes, I still want vegan hair care products. Yes, I still want to smell like a lavender field, (laughs) but my hair is no longer long. It is short to medium length. Please send me a different formula of shampoo and conditioner. Pros is so confident that you'll bring out your best hair and skin that they're offering an exclusive trial offer of 50% off your first subscription order at pros.com slash Harry Potter. So you get your free consultation and then 50% off at pros.com slash Harry Potter. That's P-R-O-S-E dot com slash Harry Potter. I mean, speaking of competence, let's let's talk about another character from this chapter and maybe like think, expand our definition or look at one of the other definitions of, of charisma. I'd spoken about how charisma comes from this Greek word that means gift or can mean gift or grace or something. And I wonder, you know, at the end of this chapter, Hermione and Ron are trying to convince Harry that he should be their underground defense against the dark arts teacher. They know they're not going to get the instruction they need from Umbridge. They know that they are going to need some instruction because of their involvement with the Order of the Phoenix. Over the past summer, they know that a threat is rising and they feel they need to be prepared and they're not wrong, right? And so they need some help. And since they don't have a trained teacher, they need someone who's just extraordinarily gifted and it's Harry. Now, this leads to a big argument that I forgot to mention in my 30-second recap, and Harry does not like having this gift assigned to him. And I think it's because, you know, we can talk about this. It's a gift that has been revealed in, like, the most terrible experiences of his life, right? And so he doesn't like he doesn't like them saying, look how good you are at all these things, when he's just like, I wish I never learned that I was good at these things. Right. right? But he's he's really good at these things, right? He has this, like, natural gift. You know, he wants to say it was just luck, but... Ron and Hermione are just trying to convince him, no, you you have something. There is something natural in you. You are just better at this than even Hermione, the best student in the school. Right. And you can teach us some things. And we want to learn from you because you have this gift, right? I wonder what you think about that. And what do you think about Harry's charisma as a wizard? So I agree with Harry in this argument. I agree with both, right? Like Ron and Hermione are essentially saying like, because of what's happened to you, people have their eye on you and therefore would trust you to do this. And also you have experience, right? Like, mm-hmm. but them saying that he has a gift, I really find Harry's pushback convincing and important. And especially the moment where Harry says, you are implying that Cedric did something wrong. Yeah. In saying that, like, there's something special about me. Like, you're saying that there wasn't that special thing about Cedric. And it's sort of like he, he's doing what I should have done with the Dorothy Austin moment, where it's like, we're all special. Voldemort just decided to not murder me. He could have decided to murder me. And yes, our wand's locked. And yes, all of these other things. But he sees the circumstantial nature of all of it. And, you know, this is something that I feel like famous people, at least the ones who I like, will say of like... Yes, I am really successful because I work hard and I'm gifted, but there are other people who work just as hard and are just as gifted. And, like, I also just got lucky and also people were just nice to me. 
Adam Sandler just gave a speech that I loved. He won the, like, Kennedy Funny Guy Award. And in it, he was just like, everybody always told me I was funny, right? Like, my family knew I wanted to be funny, and so they laughed at all of my jokes. And then all these other people laughed at my jokes. And then all these other, right? Like, I cared about being funny, and I was constantly working on it. But, like, without all of these other people supporting me and introducing me and doing all these other things, I wouldn't be here. And I do think that this is part of what makes Harry charismatic is this right-sizedness that he is competent but not overconfident, right? I just, like, I am utterly compelled by this and deeply moved by the logic that he follows, that he's like, this is disrespectful to Cedric. I think you're right. I think that Harry's point is inarguable. I think that this thing about Cedric that you're implying that something that Cedric did something wrong, and the 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 further corollary implication of has Cedric doing something wrong is that it was partly his fault, right? right? Like that is the that's the implication that Harry wants to turn away from, right? On the other hand, Harry was not of age and right. did better than all these other people. Like he, Harry does have some natural aptitude and people do have natural right. aptitudes for things that can be cultivated right and yeah. and so i think what's lacking here is not i think the issue is that they don't charm him if that's the right <laughs> language right not that they should charm him obviously he's feeling bad but if they if what they want from harry is for him to help lead this group i think what they need to say to him is not you are the only one that can do this because that feeds into all the the feelings of isolation he's already feeling like i'm the only one i'm all alone which is also what he's been feeling since the beginning of the series, right? Like the boy who lived, like everyone looks right. at me. The chosen one. The chosen one, right? What they need to do instead is say, like, only we can do this. Right. Because Dumbledore's not talking to us and Umbridge isn't going to help us. We need to help each other. And Harry, we need you to be part of it because you have experiences that others of us don't. But we are, we need to do this together. I feel like if, if they sold him on a together thing, like, mm-hmm. let's do this together. We'll do this together. Only as a team can we achieve this. And Harry, and this you're an essential your part role. of that team. Right. And this is your role on team. I think he to be included in something, to feel like he was part of something bigger and not on his own, I think Harry would 100% go for that and not react the way he does. And indeed, that's the trajectory of the, of the series, right? At the sure. end of the series, this is what emerges, like this whole people rising up together, all the students rising up together, even when they think Harry has been lost. That's where it needs to arrive. You know, the intuition from Ron and Hermione is right, or mostly from Hermione, right? And the need is definitely there. And I can see why they interpret it the way they do, because he does have this kind of preternatural gift. How they need to sell it to him is, let's do this together, be part of our team, right? Because then he would not feel further isolated in the way that he already does, and it's frustrating him so much in this book. I also wonder if something is going on here about just, like, within the context of war and violence, like, the coin toss of it all is just too stark because we will see Harry in the next book get selected for leadership on the Quidditch team. Mm-hmm. And he's just like, yeah, <laughs> right? Like he feels the pressure of it, but he loves Quidditch. He's good at Quidditch. He works hard at Quidditch. He's like, yeah, I'm a leader here, right? Like we're going to have tryouts and it's not distorted. It's not grotesque. And so he can clearly see his role in it. But I think that in violence, Everything feels so upside down. And this is just something that I really saw, like, with my grandpa, right? Like, people always wanted to, like, valorize his Mm. heroism in surviving the Holocaust. And he was like, it could have just, like, there was nothing special about me. Like, it could have gone the other way. It wasn't in my hands. And, like, that urgency to tell people, like, I really understand this, like, deep rejection. And I agree. Like, if they had made the argument you're making, like, by virtue of the fact that you have survived, you actually now have information that can be helpful, I think is a different argument than, like, you were special and that's why you survived. Yeah. I think both things can be true, right? I mean, the survivor's guilt is a real thing and and it makes sense, right? And it's because violence is chaotic and random. And and the definition, I mean, one of the definitions of, of violence is that it's something we can't control, right? Right. I think one of the truths of this kind of violence is that in some situations, no matter how gifted you are, no matter how much you deserve to survive, you might not, right? Like, that's, that's what right. Harry knows, having seen Cedric, who was great. He was a champion. Like, he was nearly the best at the school, maybe the, you know, the best at the school. Like, he knows that Cedric didn't deserve it. 
And there's no level of giftedness that Cedric could have had whereby he would have deserved it, right? Right. But it's also the case that Harry has more aptitude in some ways, right? It's not enough to necessarily save him, but it is enough to help him train them, (laughs) right? And I think that's, that's, you're right, that's where the miscommunication is, right? Like, we don't have complete control. We can't prevent all the bad things that are coming, but that doesn't mean there's nothing we can do to try to, you know, cultivate our gifts and our strengths and and that this is the this is the impasse in their conversation, right? Right. And like with my grandpa, right? Like this is something that I think my grandpa did very well. I have a lot of criticisms of him. But like he would say there is nothing special about the fact that I survived and others mm-hmm. didn't. But now that I have gone through this, I have a distinct thing to say and offer. Yeah. yeah. Right. And like I think that's where Harry, that's the moment that Harry is trying to step into. Yeah. Vanessa, now it's time for our spiritual reading practice. And this week we are going to be doing Pardes. Uh, and so to begin with Pardes, I'm going to choose a sentence from random in this chapter. And I flipped open to the chapter and I've placed my index finger at the top of top left of page 290. And this is what it says. It's a one sentence paragraph. Professor Trelawney pulled her shawls tight about her with slightly trembling hands and surveyed the class through her hugely magnifying lenses. So we haven't done Pardes in a while. And so just as a quick reminder, Pardes is a four-step Jewish reading practice based out of the Middle Ages, sort of codified by Rabbi Moshe de Leon. And it is the closest to mysticism that we do on Harry Potter and the Sacred Text. We are going to dig through the text. Matt is going to lead us, no doubt, beautifully through these four steps. And at the end, we're going to see if we have sort of shaken loose a secret that the text has buried within it that we do not yet see. So, Matt, can you help us get toward this potential secret? Let's do it. Let's go find the secret, Vanessa. So the first step to finding the secret is the P in Pardes, which is Peshat. And so we're, we're going to be looking for the intended meaning of this line. So basically just like the literal meaning, like what what's happening, what's going on. Why are uh, her hands trembling and why is Trelawney pulling her shawls <laughs> tight about her? Yeah. So, I mean, right. She has shawls multiple, which is fascinating because this classroom we know is like very hot. Like it's so hot that like Harry passes out, right? Like, and so I we're potentially learning something about like a vitamin deficiency within Trelawney that she <laughs> has the like heat turned up to 90 and is still wearing multiple shawls. But it's also like a kind of armor, right? Like these shawls are also, whether or not they are costume, right? Like they're, they are part of her vibe as like seer. And with Umbridge there, she's wearing more than one and is pulling them tighter around her, like sort of shrinking and trembling, right? She is she is deeply intimidated by the fact that Umbridge is in her classroom surveying her. And yeah, we just, we see her anew in sort of like a pathetic sort of presentation here. Yeah. Yeah, Umbridge has kind of shown up and like in her typical fashion has just sort of said, you, I trust you got my note, right? And it's clearly there with some kind of menacing purpose or something. And Trelawney's nervous. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's right. So the the next step of Pardes is remez, which means hint. So we're going to choose a word from the sentence and then see what other places in the text it arises. So what word should we choose? I mean, hands is right there. Ooh, hands. Umbridge is obviously cutting up Harry's hand. And here she is creating a situation in which Trelawney has trembling hands. Harry often has incredibly confident hands, right, Mm. on the Quidditch pitch, right? Like he has like nimble fingers. And I know in book seven, um, when he's walking through the forest, you know, he has nerveless fingers. Mm. So, yeah, I I know we say like the eyes are the window to the soul, but there is something deeply symbolic about hands. Uh, Dumbledore's hand is going to be injured. Grubbly Plank mentions the hippogriff. And we have to remember that Draco has his hand injured by Buckbeak. 
I feel like there are a lot of hand injuries both in the book and in life, right? Like, I am married to someone who always has a Band-Aid on his hand, and it's because he works in a lab where he is, like, doing a lot of things with his hands all the time and, you know, cuts himself. And he also cycles and cuts himself doing that. And he... Yeah. You know, as a hobbyist sort of carpenter, right? So, like, I, I do feel like I, I have cut off the tips of my fingers. You know, they grow yeah. back. But, yeah. right, like, Hagrid has burns on his hands when he has yeah. the dragon living with him, right? Like, I mean, our hands are just in stuff. Like, if you're you're getting your hands dirty, like, if you're in the world, then you're... We use it a metaphor for being active, right? Right. Getting your hands dirty yeah. means, like, you're actually engaged in the activity. Yeah. Right. And that means that you're going to, you know, it's, things are going to happen. So the third step of Pardes is drosh. Drosh means to seek meaning or seeking meaning. And so what we do on the podcast is we think about what sermon we would preach on this passage. So what sermon would you preach about this sentence? Can you read it for me one more time, Matt? I'd love to. Thank you. Professor Trelawney pulled her shawls tight about her with slightly trembling hands and surveyed the class through her hugely magnifying lenses. Yeah, I think I would preach on, like, taking comfort and armor where you can, right? Like, she is in a very scary situation right now, whether or not, you know, whether or not Mm. Trelawney is a good teacher and sort of deserves to be there. This is a very intimidating situation, and she's not been set up for success and so she's, like, wearing both of her shawls. And I think that we think of comfort as crutches or as laziness or little treats to incentivize us as, like, infantile or childish. And I just think that, like, life is really hard. And if you can, like, make yourself feel better by wearing two shawls, like, wear two shawls. And I would just talk about sort of being unapologetic about self-soothing in order to do hard things as long as you're still doing the hard thing that needs to be done in front of you you know yeah. wear, wear two shawls what about you matt kind of a yeah i like that one i think i would probably preach my sermon more from the perspective of the students than from the perspective of trelawney only because we already heard such a wonderful sermon about from the perspective sure. of trelawney yeah just that, that that trelawney has been an antagonist to terry and to ron for so long and honestly, she hasn't been great. Like We've talked about how her pedagogy towards Harry, especially, has been kind of problematic in all her predictions and so forth. But now, like, there's a larger and deeper, and I've used this word already, but it's kind of more menacing threat in the room. And they see her kind of vulnerable, and they see her scared. And at least the reader feels some sympathy. I'm not sure Ron and her, Harry feel sympathy for her yet. Maybe they do. I just think that there's an opportunity here to build alliance to to maybe reconcile across some difference and try to unite in against a, a greater threat something like that i would i would get preachy and soapboxy about standing together cool. and standing up to things probably <laughs> i love that all right so the last step of pardes is the secret the sode the thing that has been shaken loose by this conversation that the thing that we did not see in the passage when we read it and that our conversation has shaken loose. What's the secret, Vanessa? I think the secret to me is that she's actually been quite brave here. Hmm. Right? Like, I first read her as, like, being pathetic. But she, right, like, the next sentence is, we shall be continuing our study of prophetic dreams today. Right? Like, Mm -hmm. her hands are shaking. She is pulling these shawls closer. But she is, she's going to keep going. And I, I think there's a tremendous amount of courage in that. What about mm-hmm. you, Matt? Something about her glasses. I don't know. Her her giant magnifying yeah. glasses. And her being a seer. Yeah. I mean, obviously, right? That's that's why. That's the irony, like the, the humorous irony of, of her having giant glasses when she's a seer. The glasses that she uses to see everyone else and she's a seer are hugely magnifying. But as an observer of her, as one of the people in the class watching her with her trembling hands, pulling her shawls tight... Like, it also allows us to see into her more clearly, like, to see her eyes more clearly. There's something about how the magnifying glasses necessarily work in two directions. And the, that not only do they make her look more vulnerable because she has big eyes like a baby, but she is actually more vulnerable in that moment. That's beautiful. Well, thanks for joining me in Pardis. Thanks for leading it. Small details are big surfaces. 
Tight corners or odd shapes? Flat, rounded, textured, or tall? Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. This week's voicemail is from Shauna. Hi, Vanessa, Matt, Casper, Ariana, AJ, and all the lovely people that make this podcast. I'm Shanna from Dublin's chapter, and I've just finished binge listening to all episodes, so I decided to send you a message to commemorate. would love to make a comment on your last Lectio, uh, selected passage uh, from Book 5, Chapter 4, under the theme of apathy. Don't go far inside and don't touch anything. It felt to me like an actual path to apathy. Don't go inside yourself. Don't go deep enough on your feelings and values. Don't touch any traumas. Don't question your assumptions. Isn't that a recipe for apathy? Like in old Egypt, they had a practice called the rise of the walking dead, where the whole idea was that most people live in a walking dead state, um, that I associate with apathy, until they start going far inside, asking questions, thinking, feeling for themselves. And this would be guided by people that were already walking the walk and actually living instead of just surviving. And so for that, I would like to, to bless Hermione today and all the people like you who incessantly question and trigger in your community the need to go deep and to take things out of place just for the sake of it. I, I, I want to thank you for everything, but mainly for the way you remember members of this community who have been loved and lost and really, really pay close attention. I think it's such an important moment to reflect on our own grief too, so... It's so touching to hear how we described our loved ones and it shows what's important in the end. Uh, thank you. Uh, thank you also for the new For Reliance's reading practice. I adore it, especially the little reminder to value more the tea than the teapot, like take the teaching, not the teacher. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I love your podcast. Bye. Shauna, I love this idea that you bring that apathy comes from not looking from within. And I especially love that it gives us a way out of apathy. I feel like when we are in a state of apathy, I've often sort of looked around for inspiration and been like, come on, world, inspire me, pull me from this. And I, I love that there's something sort of more accessible to me that I can just sort of look from within look to, to within, I guess. And just thank you for this beautiful voicemail. It was deeply moving, and we're so glad to sort of have you as a listener and as part of this community. It's a pleasure to be in community with you. Yeah, thank you, Shana, for this your really kind and, and generous voice memo, generous to us and, you know, and all you said about this community, and also generous in the gifts you gave us of your interpretation, and also in introducing us to this practice of The Walking Dead. I'm really grateful for you and for your voice memo. It is now time for us to remember members of our community who have been loved and lost. Bob Morosky, who was 61, a Phillies fan, a devoted dad and friend. 
Charlie, who's 13, who was joy-encompassed, hilarious, and a friend to all. Vivian Nebbett, who is 91, an avid puzzler and amazing cook. And Jeffrey Gibson, who was 33, caring, creative, passionate, and had a wonderful laugh. May their memories be a blessing to us all. It is now time for us to offer blessings for characters in the chapter. Who would you like to bless? I'd like to bless Grubbly Plank. Professor Grubbly Plank. You know, I I wasn't sure why I wanted to bless Grubbly Plank when I read the chapter, (laughs) although I listed her name as the professor I wanted to bless. And I think that the course of this conversation, I've learned why. It's the thing you said about competence. That Grubbly Plank is just there to do a job. And the High Inquisitor can be there and ask questions if she wants to. And Grubbly Plank's going to answer them. And not gonna not trying to charm anybody, give an honest answer. Think Dumbledore's great. Think Hogwarts is going well. We got some animals here. Can't tell you about Hagrid. I just it just seems there to do the work at hand and is doing it well. Yeah. Blessings. Right sized. Yep. Right sized. That's right. How about you, Vanessa? I want to bless Hermione for I'm sure I blessed Hermione for this moment five years ago when we uh did this chapter. She makes a potion for Harry in order for him to soak his hand when he comes back from detention. Mm. And she's even a little scared to give it to him. Like, this is a risk for her, Harry. She can't predict Harry's responses to extensions that she sees as extensions of care in this book, and she makes it anyway. And it just shows effort and grace and risk, and that's why we love Hermione. So I want to bless her for that. Matt, next week I will be reading Book 5, Chapter 16, The Hogshead, through the theme of Satisfaction with one Casper Turkile. Just a few reminders before we give our thanks. We have pilgrimages available. We have some scholarship money available. You can write to us at commonground at notsorryproductions.com or go to notsorryworks.com to learn more. This was a Not Sorry production. We are a feminist production company. Our executive producer is Caitlin Hoffmeister. We are edited and produced by AJ Uramas. Our music is by Ivan Paisau and Nick Bull, and we are distributed by ACAST. We want to thank Shauna for your beautiful voicemail. Laura Glass, Ariana Nettleman, Julia Argy, Margaret H. Wilson, Nikki Zoltian, Hannah Rehack, Courtney Brown, Casper Turkyle, Natalie Folkert, Stephanie Paulsell, and everyone who sent in the names of their loved ones. Oh, I need to Are time myself. Ready? Hold on a second. No. <laughs> uh, that time I actually meant it. I didn't have my timer ready. That wasn't the joke that I, the bad joke that I do every time. That time my timer was not ready. No, I'm annoyed at myself that I, I like can't learn to ask it a different way. <laughs>